Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan. Today, I have an old friend with us. He's not old, but we go way back. And uh, uh, and we don't get to see much of each other, uh, but I think of him often. Uh, he was a mentor uh, to me at an earlier stage in my life. Um, and uh, he's just an incredible guy. We happen to have the same birthday. His name is Wyatt Kloss. He's the Senior Vice President of Creative and Cultural Strategies at Spitfire. Um, and we're going to hear all about that. And uh, I can only tell you that this guy's run like 25 political campaigns or advised and like serious ones. That's how we got to know each other. He was managing a congressional campaign uh, in which I was very interested and tried to help out. Uh, but he also uh, always had in his back pocket this uh, sort of side career in, uh, in, in, in culture and arts uh, that I guess has, has come to the forefront over the last 30-something years. Um, anyway, uh, wait till you meet him. Wyatt Kloss, welcome to The Indispensables. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Great to be here. And uh, I look forward to trying to unpack as many things as we can. Uh, excellent. You may be the first person I ever heard use the word unpack. And uh, there's just a uh, just in the, in that way, you know, as opposed to unpack a suitcase. I love it. Uh, so uh, uh, Wyatt Kloss, t- tell what what's your story for for uh, for those who have not who are not familiar with you and your career. Um, what's your story? How did you get to where you are now? Well, I was born a poor black child in North Carolina and uh, <laughs> no, uh, I was born in North Carolina, um, but, uh, you know, essentially I grew up in, in Raleigh um, and went to school at UNC Chapel Hill and then started my career, which we'll talk about. But I, I think the thing to, you know, to just say as far as, a, you know, story goes is that I have always had a certain level of, you know, kind of curiosity and, uh, you know, have always had fun thinking about uh, both, you know, how to make the world a better place, but also how to enjoy myself while I'm trying to make the world a better place, you know? Um, And so, you know, I've always kind of had one foot in some way, you know, not necessarily in politics, but in, you know, advocacy or in some, you know, form of um, issues and and that sort of thing, policy, and then one foot, like, totally in, you know, music and art and writing and all of that. And it it took a while, but uh, eventually, you know, uh, I kind of figured out, I think, how to make those things kind of work pretty well together with each other. And and some people might think that uh, culture and the arts is uh, beautiful and um, uh, idealistic and politics is, is ruthless and um, maybe not 
something where people uh, <laughs> are able to um, be their best. Um, but you seem to be able to fuse them and uh, be political in your culture and arts work and be a cultural and artsy in your political work. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you put it that way because I, I often, you know, say now and again to, to folks, you know, depending on what circles I'm moving in that, you know, uh, sometimes I'm, you know, too, uh, you know, fun and artsy for the political, you know, folks that I know, whether that's in DC or Sacramento or other places of, you know, power around the, the country or, you know, I'm too serious and too, you know, uh, stringent for a lot of my, you know, artist friends and people who are, you know, cultural producer types. But, you know, for me, uh, both things actually, you know, what, what intersects them to, from, from my standpoint and why I have a foot in both is they're both about reaching people and they're both about, you know, affecting how people think and feel and, you know, move about in the world and think about each other, you know, maybe, you know, one is with a hammer and, and one is with a feather or, you know, whatever analogy you want to use, you know, but, uh, but, but they're both about getting there. And that, that was actually a, a, a realization I kind of came to, um, in about the, the the middle of my career at SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, where I was, you know, given this opportunity to do a lot of partnership work, and normally that means working with social justice organizations and civil rights groups and all of that on behalf of the union, which which I did. But I also realized that I was like, you know, there's this whole other community and constituency out there known as the world of arts, culture, entertainment, that we could be engaging just as we do, you know, the NAACP or the Human Rights Campaign Fund or organizations and constituencies like that. I was like, and it's, you know, this this world of arts and culture and entertainment. And that could be amplifying the voices of workers in a way that we've not really thought about or considered. Um, so I, I think it's that, you know, way in which both of those, you know, both of these worlds sort of speak to people, uh, you know, in different ways and reach them and, and can move people, move society in some different directions that, you know, to me makes it interesting, but, you know, it, it, it's not without its, you know, points of tension or, you know, kind of, uh, strains because, as you said, I mean, you know, it's the, the they're not necessarily worlds that always uh, flow so easily together. But but I love being the you know among the bridge builders that that try to do that. Bridge builders, I like that. And you know, there's something uh, really savvy, I think, about realizing that if you're finding something interesting, if you're having fun, if you're seeing joy. Uh, that the likelihood is other people will find it interesting and be a little more joyous 
and have more fun and might be open to those messages. And uh, it, it leaves me wondering if it's strategy or inadvertence that has led you to straddle these two sides, because there's a way in which it gives you kind of uh, when you're in the politics realm, they're like, oh, he's really good at uh, politics. But, you know, he has this whole other world that he's in. And likewise, when you're in the arts, uh, people are like, oh, wow, you know, he really knows his stuff and can help us here. But, you know, it turns out he's very involved in politics also. <laughs> and um, that, that there's something that that's its own source of triangulation power. Right. Even if it's inadvertent. Uh, uh, maybe it, when you say you came to realize that, that's when it went from being inadvertent to strategic. I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I think it was, you know, I think it was early on inadvertent and somewhat accidental, right? Because I would, you know, I, as one example, uh, when I was in my early stages of political campaign work. I was the coordinated campaign manager for uh, the North Carolina Democratic Party in a year that was had a high stakes U.S. Senate race. Um, I remember Gant, you were trying to defeat Jesse Helms. Right, right. Harvey oh, Gantt, uh, black before. mayor of Charlotte. Yep. And no, he was running against Harvey Gantt. Yep. Uh, yep. I mean, I just thought, wow, this guy took on Jesse Helms. OK, I'm all right. here. Right, right. And so, you know, uh, I, I remember a day when I was uh, working on the campaign and literally like doing a presentation for uh, a get out the vote, you know, strategy. Right. And um, my uh, assistant who was with my business, I had a consulting practice back then called North State Group. And we had just started this idea for a magazine that was uh, basically like a eclectic uh, black arts and culture magazine. And on a lark, I, you know, tried to get this interview with James Brown. We spent some weeks. This is when he was in jail. Right. Um, and well, at least you knew where to find him. <laughs> right. Right. And I walk out of the, the, the GOTV presentation and there's like this urgent phone call blah, blah, blah. and my assistant's like I have James Brown on the on the on the other line can you do this interview now this is the only time he can call they say he can only call a certain time you know it was like wow and you know so right of course I dropped what I what I was doing and uh went in and did the interview and you know and it was it was great and all that but it was like you know, that juxtaposition was kind of wild in terms of, you know, these two worlds. Right. And so and more things like that happened, you know, over time. And it wasn't, you know, until, you know, like I say, maybe 15 years ago or so where, you know, daytime Wyatt you know, doing political work and, you know, policy and government affairs, you know, and all of that. And nighttime Wyatt, who was, you know, writing about culture and, you know, talking about, you know, putting on events, you know, that were in nightclubs and, you know, art parties and stuff like that. Finally, like, 
you know, was a, a, a full day existence that was, you know, inter- integrated and fully, you know, working hand in hand. But it, it was, uh, you know, the, the early part of my career was it was it, it was very compartmentalized. You know, I, I remember um, a group uh, of, of friends uh, of mine who, who were at work, who I think I can all talk about now. We were at SEIU. And we started a thing in D.C. It was kind of an underground, eclectic art party series called Madame Zenobia. And we called ourselves Madame Zenobia Collective. We made up an entire character who we said we all worked for. Um, she, she didn't exist. But she put on these eclectic, but she put on these eclectic parties, right? And, um, you know, it got quite popular, so much so the Washington Post interviewed us and we knew that we were going to be featured as a cover story in the Washington Post weekend section. Right. It was like, holy shit. And so, uh, so it, it was, but what was, you know, also wild for us was like, uh, we don't know what's going to happen now because this story is going to come out. It's going to be revealed where we work <laughs> and all these things, you know, we were just like, you know, I, we might get fired, right? Like people might be thinking like, oh, they're like doing this whole hustle, like, you know, while they're supposed to be doing work and blah, 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 you know, or whatever, right? We weren't, we, we were really genuinely not sure, right? But, you know, we like what we were doing. We we're glad somebody was willing to talk about it. So let's just see. And lo and behold, what happened is that the president of the union at the time, Andy Stern, very visionary dude in so many different ways about labor. And, and about- and first to stop you, for those who are not in the know about unions, uh, SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, is a very important, very powerful union that represents many, many people who um, without collective bargaining would have a very hard time being treated fairly um, and Andy Stern, I agree with you, a visionary and, um, and you know, uh, just an, an iconic name in, 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 in the history of labor, right? So just yeah. so people understand the, 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 the circles in which you're running. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, of course, word got around about this article and, you know, and, and all of that. And I get called into his office, you know, and I'm like... I don't know. This might be it. This might be the moment. And, uh, you know, instead what he said, said was, you know, look, um, you know, we have a convention coming up soon. We got this thing. We got that thing. I, I think, you know, what y'all are doing is fascinating. And it'd be cool if you would put some of that cultural energy into some of the things we're trying to do on behalf of workers. Right. Um, so let's, you know, get you situated with so-and-so who's, you know, running the convention and this person and that person. And that's in part what, you know, started my ability to do that kind of work within SEIU and sort of the broader progressive community. Uh, but it was all, you know, due largely to, uh, a a side hustle that me and, and a group of friends had you know, a certain kind of passion about, yeah. A certain kind of passion about that's, that's such a nice way to put it. And, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, so you use the the term compartmentalize, and I I, I get that, right? That um, uh, there's a and I and I relate to that uh, because you know when we met, for example. Uh, was on a congressional campaign, a special election campaign in uh, the spring um, of uh, 1991. And in my hometown, um, you were the hired gun. And uh, I was in law school. Right. And and so uh, I was and the whole time I worked as a lawyer, I tried that uh, thing where, oh, well, really, I'm into politics. And then uh, when I was in politics, well, really, I'm a lawyer. And, And then eventually it was like, I really, I, uh, I'm writing a book and I don't know what, but I've been, but I've been, and, and I've been doing that myself for a long time. And I understand the concept of compartmentalization because you're not sure if the people in this world will respect or revile the stuff you're doing in the other world. Yeah. 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 But I, I think at the same time, you, you know, you do have to be true to yourself in terms of like, you know, the things that, that you, um, do and like, I mean, I, I, you know, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, even like when I was in junior high school and ran for student council, which was arguably, you know, sort of maybe a first step towards some level of, you know, political, uh, you know, consciousness, uh, the real reason I ran for student council president was because I knew that's who got to plan the dances. That's who got to meet with the principal to decide who's going to be the speakers at the assemblies. That's who got to, you know, figure out, you know, when the talent show was going to be like, it was, it was like that, you know, it was like, it was both, right. It was like, it was, it was both things, but um, you know, so you, you've always loved music and the arts. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, from a very early age, you know, and, and yet I, and, and I have done, you know, which I hope we'll get to talk about a lot of cultural projects and, you know, things that are at this intersection of, you know, politics and, and art, but it, you know, it, it really kind of, um, was fed by, you know, all of the stuff that, you know, I, I was exposed to early as a kid, even though I have zero, you know, talent as, as I've often said, I'm, I think I'm artistic, but I'm not an artist. I think I'm, you know, creative, but I'm not, you know, like, don't ask me to play the piano. Don't ask me to do a watercolor painting. You know, maybe I might try a haiku, but, you know, and, and and I would say my screenwriting game is pretty good because I do have several scripts in the trunk for anyone, you know, interested in those stories. But, nice. you know, Ooh, but I so really don't. Teaser, teaser for everyone. There are scripts in the trunk. By the way, I totally get that. You know, I play the guitar since I was 11 years old, but I'm not very good at it. My wife always says, you love music so much. Why don't you play the guitar? And the answer is because I love listening to music. And I, and I, when I play, it's mostly just frustrating that I can't make it sound so great that I'd love to listen to it, you know, and I'd rather rather listen to music. And, um, uh, and I remember, by the way, just, uh, not to get too, too, uh, uh, personal and, and nostalgic, but 
Um, so, you know, and for the listeners and you, of course, I'm sure remember this, that, so I knew you as this hired gun who had taken on Jesse Helms and, you know, you're trying to help my old friend Sherwood Guernsey get elected to the Congress. Uh, John Olver instead won that election on June 4th, 1991. And funny enough, I went on to run his campaign in 96. Um, but, uh, uh, as I was trying to figure out whether I was a lawyer or a political guy, or it turns out I'm a writer actually, or whatever I am. But, um, but, um, but I remember you came, uh, you had work in business in New York and, and we were living in New York, um, and you stayed with us. And I remember, uh, you know, I'm not that tuned into current culture then or now. Right. But Debbie, my wife is. And mm-hmm. and and she was like, well, you're not. I think you're missing a big part of Wyatt. Uh, he's really into music and culture and he knows a lot about the cutting edge of it. And uh, and I was like, huh, OK, you know, but 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 I just don't you know, I didn't. I, and so I became aware of it because she schooled me. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure. At that time, I went to a thing called the New Music Seminar, which was held once a year in uh, New York and exposed you to a whole range of indie music. It it would now be, it would have been the precursor to what people look at South by Southwest Music Festival today. And, um, you know, yeah, it was incredible to, to be there. And I would, you know, literally like come up with you know some reason business-wise to, to need to be there but again what i was really trying to do was like skip over and you know have this you know see if i can get that interview with chuck d or krs1 or you know whoever right um so and so we I, I know that. That. yeah i yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. Debbie's observations yeah i appreciate yeah, and debbie, you know debbie's pretty smart. And she, uh, she, she saw that immediately. And, uh, but I was aware of it as of then, but I certainly had not been aware of it before that. Um, so, so here, you know, you're, 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 uh, going after Jesse Helms and interviewing James Brown at the same time. Um, and so tell us about some of the cultural and arts endeavors you've been able to pursue uh along the line and then we got to hear about spitfire and what you're doing there but but yeah. but i want to hear uh i want to hear another one like the james brown interview <laughs> well there's 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 quite a few that's that's for sure um that that are like that but um you know i so i started doing this work in a real way you know, with this confluence when I started um, a a company called Big Bowl of Ideas. And the work, you know, would range from, uh, you know, doing, say, a spoken word poetry video about immigration rights, you know, in Chicago, or, you know, as we did in 2016, a full-scale pop-up art show in North Carolina about voting rights and, um, you know, racial justice and uh, in a Southern Gothic mansion on the campus of Wake Forest University, you know, for uh, Melissa Harris Perry, right? The TV wow. personality. Um, and, and so there were all, and it, it just kind of depended on the client and the project 
you know, in terms of what cultural medium might it be, what scale might it be, what issue it might be about. Um, and I love that. And I still love that. That's, that's still what is, you know, fascinating to me. No week was ever the same. I love that, you know, sense of like, well, I'm working on a poetry video, you know, today, but like next week we got to start thinking about that, you know, dance performance at Black Lives Matter Plaza, you know, for the so-and-so uh, organization, right? And so, I, you know, and there are all kinds of things that were really fun that happened, but I'll, I'll at least share two that I think, you know, might be somewhat interesting. One and, was and, and in, why, why these two are these big bowl of ideas events? Yes, yes. Why yeah, I was okay. A big bowl of ideas. Um, okay. So, um, one was a, 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 a an idea that I came up with called "Guess Who's Knocking," and this was in 2008. Right, Obama's running for president. Healthcare, a big issue, and so uh, and I was I was um, I'm sorry, I was not with Big Bowl of Ideas yet. I was still at SEIU, um, and uh, we had a great. Uh, SEIU local in Western Pennsylvania that represented healthcare workers, um, 1199, not 1199 New York, 1199P. Don't I'll, always get your 1199 straight. Um, very important. Very important. Um, and so uh, they were doing all this GOTV work, and I got the idea working with an organization called the Creative Coalition, which represents. Uh, uh, has a membership of celebrities who are interested in political activism. And um, we got about 10 to 12 different uh, actors who were on hospital and healthcare related TV shows fly out for the last few weeks of the campaign. And they knocked on doors, like for real knocked on doors, not performative, like show up at the corner or something, but like really like got the clipboards out and all that and, and walked with real hospital workers. Right. And so they would create this whole dynamic on the block knocking on the door. And it's like, you know, the person's like the voters, like, Oh my God, wait, it's, it's so-and-so from the, that show the thing, you know, Nancy, who, you know, she got cancer and then she, you know, divorced her husband, but, you know, like knows the whole thing of this character. And, you know, and so they're both there saying yes. And we're here to talk to you about the importance of healthcare reform in this campaign and why you should vote for Barack Obama. Right. And it went over <laughs> like gangbusters. Right. Um, and I've always... Just as an outsider hearing about this, and I, I, I think, hmm, you know, that, that's such a talk about a bowl of ideas. That one uh, story you're telling, and okay, it was under the 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 rubric of SEIU, but it's still a big bowl of ideas in and of itself. Talk, uh, you know, talk about a a bunch of meaning to unpack, yeah. and um, yeah. and 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 it's a really good example of how an event, uh, 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 almost like performance art, uh, has more meaning. It's, it's very hard to, to, very hard to unpack all the meaning in that package. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, you know, that's part of the thing with 
this work that, you know, we call cultural strategies is, you know, because I, I think a lot of times people, you know, they hear the words art or culture, you know, they either think it's sort of foo-foo or, or they think it's like, you know, something kind of, you know, really fun or like maybe superficial or whatever. Right. Um, and it can be a little bit of those things. Right. But it, it's also like, no, this is a purpose. This is like, reaching people in a way that, you know, cause that same person would have slammed the door on somebody else, you know, um, you know, but not for the fact of how we, you know, put that operation together. And so I, I think that's, you know, one of the things I, I certainly have been an evangelist for cultural strategies and cultural organizing, because I, I do think, you know, it is, you know, I, I often joke, uh, you know, um, with my, colleagues at Spitfire about how, you know, uh, you know, what, what's, you know, stronger, you know, depending on the audience, you know, my poem could be better than your press release. Right. Um, and, 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 Oh, definitely. Especially in this, in this clogged up, uh, uh, environment where there's more information produced in a day than all of us working together could master in a lifetime that, uh, you know, doing something that's interesting and fun and gives people joy. Uh, and, you know, so the, the naysayer might say, oh, well, who cares what an actor thinks about politics? Well, hmm, okay, well, uh, but I should care what you think about politics. You know, right, the actor right. gets to vote, too. And, and at the end of the day, uh, if it gets people out to vote, then checkmate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's that's the thing I think about, you know, cultural work, which is, you know, just the way in which it, it does reach people differently. And, and it's not just contained to sort of the, you know, celebrity work. Right. I mean, culture is uh, first and foremost about meeting people where they are at. So, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was in North Carolina um, <clears throat> with a Spitfire colleague talking with people who are active around food justice, tackling food deserts, people who run community kitchens, people who are like, you know, uh, run black owned farms, people who are thinking about, you know, school uh, student hunger, you know, uh, in the state. And it was an entire conversation about cultural strategies that would help advance, you know, those issues, right? Um, and, you know, we talked a lot about ways to do that. And sure, art and painting and things like that sort of come up, but it's also like, uh, you know, let's talk about NASCAR. Let's talk about, you know, North Carolina barbecue. Let's talk about the North Carolina State Fair. Let's talk about church and Bible quotes that relate to hunger and feeding. And how is that useful as a way of talking about you know, the need to create a different food system in X County, you know, like that, that's where to me, like it really starts, you know, getting interesting. The, 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 you know, the culture part that we kind of quickly think about, you know, is always an interesting foothold and entry point, but it's really when you start thinking more broadly about what culture is, um, that, that, you know, this work really becomes exciting. Yeah. And maybe it's because you get maybe it's because you get people to not just think about something, but feel about something and uh, or realize something. And 
So <clears throat> there's a lot of discourse right now about, um, you know, competing efforts to get people, particularly Americans, to think about our history in, in, in ways that are more comprehensive uh, and, and, and honest uh, and get people to understand uh, what that means for people today and why it's not ancient history, but rather integral to the fabric of our society. And I think debates don't seem to be going anywhere. We're, we're so polarized that logic and facts, I mean, for one thing, logic and facts, we can't even agree that two plus two equals four. Right. Um, uh, so that to me, those, those, those debates are pointless. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people have come, whichever side you're on, have come to the conclusion that, you know, I just can't convince you no matter what I say. Well, right, maybe right. maybe art can change the way somebody feels or change what really make them realize something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it and it and it might be art, you know, or it might be, you know, a monster truck show, right? <laughs> um, you, you know, it, it, it depends on, you know, the, the person and the audience and, you know, what's the best way, you know, to reach them, you know, and in, in a lot of ways, it does pick up on, you know, a lot of the principles of strategic communications, you know, about audience and messenger and where do we want to move them to and that kind of thing. But, you know, instead of thinking about, you know, what's the right phrasing to use in the op-ed, you know, that you're going to pitch, you know, to a newspaper, you're thinking about, you know, huh, you know, people around here seem to really like, you know, harvesting in the fall and like there's a big festival that happens and, you know, whatever. So what if we turn that into, you know, a whole thing about, you know, abundance and and abundance as a value but then use the value abundance to talk about you know the economy in general and therefore we shouldn't have to feel like we have to fight against each other there's enough for everyone right to like leap from the the harvest festival to like <laughs> this broader value of abundance right is you know is yeah it's just a really interesting way to think about how to take people on a journey from where they may have started in one place and then wind up somewhere else. Yeah. And I love that we're now thinking about the harvest and abundance, uh, but we're also able in this, you are also able in the same conversation to talk about the implications of a monster truck show, NASCAR, a barbecue. Uh, and, and, and what, what it's making me realize just this conversation is of course, all of these are elements of culture and uh, and 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 they shouldn't be compartmented from uh, issues of uh, public policy and uh, you know fairness and justice and and um, that it seems like kind of a sleight of hand of the powerful who don't want change to say right. oh don't politicize these things right right well even for you to say right. 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 And, you know, uh, it's yeah, I mean, it, it just it shows up in, in everyday life for people. Right. You know, whether they're, you know, I mean, something as simple as, uh, you know, a, you know, 
little league, you know, soccer, um, you know, team or baseball team, you know, can, it's not like those things take on any, you know, political dimensions, right, per, per se, but, you know, do they get you thinking about, you know, wow, why do we have this, you know, awful field? Or why don't we have better county parks? Or why don't we, why don't we, you know, why, why does it, you know, cost all of this money to like get the uniforms? And is there a different way to do this that gives every kid the same, you know, opportunity? And so you start thinking about the values around equity and, you know, everybody having a fair shot. And, you know, I mean, literally the, you know, level playing field phrase, you know, comes into view, not just in a little league, you know, you know, situation as a parent, but, you know, in a boardroom and in other, you know, places, right? There's a reason why all those sports metaphors in business and politics are, are used so much because it's a point of connection for people, right? But it's, but it's yeah, again, yeah, right, it's right, a cultural right. connection, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And so, so, so we had the great story from 2008 from SEIU and we have the great story from 2016, which is Spitfire. Uh, do you have a good bowl of, uh, big bowl of ideas, uh, example? Uh, so the 2016 one was, was a, a big bowl of ideas, um, uh, okay. enterprise, but Yes, there's definitely some good Spitfire. Spitfire recent visit to North Carolina. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. That's okay. right. North Carolina. Yeah, and that was just a few weeks ago. Uh, but the last year has really been um, amazing because, I, I mean, one of the things I should just say, I, Spitfire is a woman-owned uh, public interest communications firm uh, with offices all over the country. And really great, smart group of people who are also very passionate about uh, progressive values. And it's, it's really interesting to see a business uh, really stick to those values in, in a lot of different ways that are like super tangible and like, wow, you guys like, you know, really, really, really believe in, you know, a, a lot of these values attached to equity and being progressive. So, um, but there's, you know, just in the last year, you know, we've done three really big things that I'm proud of. Uh, one is a thing that was called creative resilience. It was a large scale pop-up art show performance and, uh, education space, all focused on, um, mutual aid and economic justice for communities of color. We did it in LA. It ran for 10 days. Uh, we had thousands, thousands of people that came, uh, 70 different artists, over 100 different works of art, 25 programs, workshops for kids. Um, I mean, it, it was just, it, and it was a like probably, you know, uh, maybe since that 2016 story, something not as grand of a scale that I've been proud to work on um, since then was, was this because uh, it had a far reach. It was complicated in terms of using different mediums of art. But again, it was the purpose of it was an organizing tool, right? The client, uh, which was a nonprofit doing community organizing work, 
wanted to figure out a new way, a different way, a speedier way, a grander way to do some of the organizing work they would do, you know, knocking on doors, standing in front of grocery stores, handing out flyers, that kind of thing. It's like, well, you know, we're, we're doing that and we, and we're going to keep doing that for certain reasons, but you know, we could reach, you know, thousands and thousands of more people, you know, on a grander scale, if we did something like this, you know, project that just draws people from all over the place and, you know, people came and, you know, it wasn't like people just showed up. I mean, the staff of the, the, the organization, you know, had an army of people with iPads. And so everybody that came, all those thousands of people that came are like locked into a database and, you know, have been followed up on and all of that. So in this case, it was kind of culture and art as an organizing magnet. Right. Um, and, you know, we're just finishing work on, something that we haven't released yet, but I'll talk about a little bit, which is um, a look at the world of TikTok and YouTube creators, specifically those who are interested in working on social change and social justice issues. And what we try to do is it's an entire landscape review of that world. Uh, we reached out to over 200 creators. Uh, we got surveys and detailed information and interviews from about 60 of them and got very, you know, intimate looks at what their day is like, what their motivations are, why they do what they do. How can they do what they do? You know, where do you get, how do you make your money? How does, you know, and, and what their experience has been working with progressive organizations. And, and so it's a, essentially the report is going to, you know, be a bit of a, you know, tip sheet to, you know, uh, folks who are interested in social change and like know something about TikTok or YouTube and like, yeah, we really should get into that at some time, but you know, I don't really know how it works or I don't know what the, you know, um, we, this is going to be a roadmap for people you know, who are interested into tapping into, into that energy in a greater way. So that's, that's really interesting. Is that a, like, are you guys going to publish a white paper or a book or is it syndicated research or is it uh, a product that you'll sell? Uh, so post, uh, uh, post-production syndication or something like that, or what's the, what's, how, how do you monetize that? Yeah, we're going to, yeah, we, we should probably be asking you that question. Uh, <laughs> we uh so no the plan is it was it was funded by a, a foundation um you know it was an idea that that we pitched and so we will release a full report about it in a couple of weeks um we're uh, one of our first big stops is in may uh there's a thing called the creators for change conference in toronto uh, and so right. we'll be presenting the findings wow. there. Uh, it's run by this uh, great uh, professor, David Craig at, at USC, who's written like three books himself about creators um, over the last few years. And so we're excited about that as kind of the, you know, part of the, 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 the jump off and launch of it. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be creating ancillary products, you know, whether that's, via a website or 
decks and you know other things and and then presentations right but but we want it to not just be like a i mean the point is to to plant the seeds and give some ideas but we want to like you know there's a back section of the report that makes recommendations about okay and here's like eight things we could do in the next two years to like change change the dynamic and so we really want to say you know who who's ready to you know (laughs) <laughs> who's got a checkbook, who's got the wherewithal and, you know, interest to like go do one of these recommendations. So, um, I see. so, so it's, 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 it's grant funded, co-branded. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Grant funded, co-branded. And the idea is it's one part public service, like, Hey, you want to understand this, uh, and one part and, you know, uh, here are some projects we recommend and, uh, and, and not for nothing, we probably know how to do this stuff. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's been great working in partnership with, uh, the impact guild, which is a collective of people in Hollywood and other media forums who want to, you know, uh, experience uh, social impact and, uh, the MacArthur foundation, um, you know, who, um, you know, have, have, totally know their stuff when it comes to thinking about media and the application of cultural strategies and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's the genius, uh, Grant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. If you don't know about the MacArthur foundation, they're the ones who do the genius grant. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. Uh, uh, maybe you're in line for that. Um, so, uh, uh, this is all so interesting. Um, what, 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 what is the scope of Spitfire? You said it's woman owned. It's, it's in many cities. I mean, is it secret how many people are involved? Uh, no, it's about uh, 65, 70 folks. Um, and, you know, they really spend time focusing on strategic communications and, you know, public positioning, not just for organizations, but definitely nonprofits are big part of that and as well as the uh, philanthropic world. Um, So, you know, things like working with a client like the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation on a, you know, two year, you know, um, look at a a thing they they do called the culture of health Um, and, you know, sort of playing it out, you know, creating narrative frameworks and thinking about all the you know, then there's like the day-to-day, week-to-week work that goes under that. But but really, you know, um, like thinking in in long-term, you know, shifts that can happen for organizations or for a particular issue is what they're focused on. I, I guess I say that as opposed to like, you know, there are PR firms who, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we need to get a press release out next week to talk about, you know, blah, 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 or see if we can get, you know, coverage in three papers or something. And it's not like that work doesn't come along with the broader strategic work, but the broader strategic work is really the the jam of, uh, of, of Spitfire. Um, so much so that, um, you know, there's a, a, a great, uh, tool that exists online called the smart chart, which uh, I have met people who didn't know I was at Spitfire until I said so. And then they were like, oh, yeah, 
they're the ones that make the smart chart, right? I've used that thing like three different times. Ah, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, wow, okay. Um, so that's where do, where does one find the smart chart? Uh, I would I would start at uh, just simply going to SpitfireStrategies.com, um, or if you Google, which I'm going to do in real time. Um, you mean to make sure that it works? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I, I want to make sure I got the exact right thing. Um, yeah, just go just Google Spitfire Strategies and smart chart and it will uh, definitely come up okay good well that's a public service you heard it here um <laughs> so uh as we're as as our as our time grows short uh i i, I want to ask you two questions one is what's next for you um well there are quite a few things but i i'll i'll, I'll stick to to one or two so um, there's a, I mean, essentially there are just a number of ideas that I'm noodling on that are pretty uh, bold. One is uh, an idea for a mobile art tour. Um, you heard me describe this thing called creative resilience. So imagine yeah. creative resilience in packed into eight uh, storage containers. Uh, that would go on flatbed trucks. So it's art galleries and stages and everything that can move and it, and it all be about civic engagement and it'd be able to go into eight or nine swing states in 2024 and stop in cities and create, you know, a spectacle uh, around civic engagement, you know, particularly in communities of color in those states. Uh, not a small endeavor would take you know, many months to execute will take even more months to plan. Um, and that is something I'm actively talking about now. It's called Black Box, B-L-K-B-O-X. Um, and then, uh, you know, oh, I love we were, and that, is that like a hundred million dollar thing or a 50 million dollar thing or 20 million? Um, it's a, I'm going to say right now about a five to $7 million thing. If we, right, I'm going to guess it ends up being 15 to 20 and uh, <laughs> it also is, is some, which is good. You know, uh, yeah. be, it, people need to know what the investment looks like. And my view is uh, that, that, you know, in, in, in a number of swing States that could be a game changer. Yeah. 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 No, I, it, it very well could be. And I, I mean, that, that's definitely the hope, but again, it's this thing of, you know, how we are going to utilize pop culture, entertainment, art to, to do it in a way that's, you know, that's also strategic. Cause it's not like they're not people who have tried that, that fusion of things, but not in the way that this particular project is, is thinking about. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's art with an organizer's mentality. Yeah, um, that's, I, I like it. That's good. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we are, uh, trying to develop a number of strategies that, uh, relate to, you know, some things that are, um, off in the, in the, in the distance, um, 
But, you know, for me, one that is really on my mind now and again uh, is the Olympics, which are going to be here in L.A. in 2028. Um, You know, decisions about what's going on there are happening every day. You know, every time you go to the LAX airport, they get, you know, one more piece of metal closer to us actually having a a, a subway train that actually runs to the airport because they want to get it done in time for the Olympics. Um, right. I, I think it is an incredible opportunity to talk about a lot of things related to human rights and the kind of world we want to see and all of that. And LA is a perfect place where, you know, all forms of kind of cultural expression, you know, can manifest very easily um, and so what is the thing, you know, that could really bring great attention to that? And, and, and when I think about it, it's not just something in LA, it's something that, you know, comes from and unites people from all over the country on the ramp up to that moment in the Olympics. Right. Um, but, but it is, it is just one of these things that could be an incredible galvanizer. Right. Um, but you know, that's going to take some more noodling. But, you know, when, when, you know, I gave you one thing that's like in the next 18 months to two years, but, you know, if I look beyond that and try to really think about what's something, you know, grand and on scale and could really, you know, be something people would remember and think about, you know, for a long, long time, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. So if people are trying to get to know, the real Wyatt Kloss, keep this in mind, that when he's thinking about his future plans, he's thinking about how to have a profound impact on the 2024 presidential election, and then how to have a profound impact on the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics. And I think that says says a lot. You're not thinking small. So here's one last thing. If you're, you know, so people listen to these interviews and uh, I think this one will stand out and think, you know, man, how do I get to be like this guy? If you're with a young person at the bottom of the elevator and you're going up to the top uh, in an elevator and what what's your kind of elevator pitch career advice for, for today's young, ambitious people? Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And, and I, you know, I am now old enough to, you know, sort of be regarded as an OG in, in this, in this field. Um, so, so I do get this question and, um, you know, typically what I say to folks is, you know, one, um, you know, the world is not as, um, compartmentalized, you know, with these worlds as, as they were, you know, when I was, you know, 23 or 24 or whatever. Right. And so, you know, it's not, it's, it's like not really that strange to think about, you know, combining, you know, art with politics and advocacy and culture. Right. Um, but, you know, in terms of, um, you know, getting started on it, the good news is there are multiple points of entry for people. Um, you know, I, and that's one of the things I've noticed 
about this field that I'm in over, you know, especially the last decade. Sometimes somebody starts, you know, by doing political work and then they get excited about communications and then they want to, you know, do something cultural or work on a project. And then that ends up taking them on a certain trajectory. But I've also seen people who, you know, uh, served as like a production assistant, you know, on a film or, you know, were an assistant to some Hollywood agency or something, right? Really low level working in the mailroom kind of stuff. And then, you know, volunteered to work on a political campaign. And it turns out that, you know, they were able to use, you know, what they learned in that agency to do something in a political campaign and off they go, you know, into, um, you know, uh, uh, some form of work. So, you know, you, you see that now, you know, where someone who's, you know, uh, was an author, you know, decides to run for office or, um, you know, the other way around. And I think that, I think that's part of what makes it interesting, but I, I, I would, you know, my advice to folks is like, um, you know, just go and, and, and start doing it. And there's so much, you know, one of the things we learned from this TikTok uh, creators landscape that I was talking about is, um, you know, most of those creators all have something else that they want to do later. Right. Um, and so, you know, the notion that you can, you know, just using your phone and your wits, you know, sort of start doing things. I mean, I think that's like a great entry point for somebody in, into this work is to like, you know, I'm going to do a thing where I interview my dog every day about environmental justice. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, yeah. and maybe that goes viral. Right. And, and like a year later, you're going to get a call from, you know, the Sierra club or Greenpeace or somebody, you know, asking you about, you know, doing a, 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 a little series for them or something, you know, because, you know, you just had this, you know, notion in your head. Right. And, and I think that's what I would, I think that's the thing I would encourage, you know, folks to do and to, you know, not be, you know, in any way limited by, I, I guess, the constraints of, you know, someone say, you know, saying there's a, a certain path you have to take or a certain route you have to go. You know, there are other things, other industries, other sectors, you know, where there is a certain set of steps or a ladder or whatever. I, you know, this one is like a, you know, uh, a house with like eight doors on it. And, you know, you can enter from, you know, any direction uh, and, and you're going to, you know, wind up in the living room, you know, eating popcorn and, and watching TV and enjoying it. So, so enter uh, from any door you want, take the notions in your head and just start doing it and follow your own path. That is sage advice from Wyatt Kloss, Senior Vice President of Creative and Cultural Strategies at Spitfire, but but more to the point, um, and I think the through line is political, cultural, and creative guru. I think at this point you count as a guru, Wyatt. Thank mm. you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you. I really appreciate it. 
If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.